this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Dia and Tim Minici. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our poll episodes. This is where we take the results of a poll and turn them into an episode that we review the record. Well, well, let me walk you through it for those who don't know. So if you go to our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, you'll find a uh, suggest an album form. We take all those suggestions, put uh, take eight at a time, in the order we get them, put them up on Patreon, and let the patrons vote and see what they want us to review. And Jay, speaking uh, of uh, Patreon, we have three mm-hmm. new patrons join us in the last week. That's awesome. Dan Goodspeed, Rick Leiter, and Sean. No last name, just a singular Sean, like Prince or Madonna. Welcome, <laughs> all of you. And, and you know, we had we had some in the last episode that we announced that we uh, mentioned. And uh, thanks to everyone who has joined us recently. I don't, I don't know if it's just our, our wit and our charm or the, uh, the promise of a, a radio station, perhaps, or, or what it is. But we appreciate the support, and um, we're helping grow this thing, and, and maybe we'll launch that radio station full-time at some point. Yeah, if we can get to 500 a month on Patreon, uh, that would fund uh, what we need to get the license to do. Uh, sound scan and pay our the artists we play and get this thing going so right that's doable right i mean that's like you know a small portion of our audience if they put it up a dollar a month we right. have a radio station the 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 what we just did with the radio station was basically a test you know i mean we're yeah. going to of course tally up the number of plays and the number of listeners and we're going to take a penny and divide it up accordingly to all the artists because royalty rates are pretty crap, but we got to adhere to what the, the rules are. I mean, we we could splurge and send everybody a full penny. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we got to check the budget. I got to talk to the accountant about that yep. before we, we do that. No, but we got some good feedback. It was fun to do, yep. and hopefully uh, it gave people a little better idea of what Dayton sounded like in the 90s. Yes. Um, I'm looking at the poll we're running right now. Um, this will be done by the time podcast comes out. But just to give you an idea, we've got a two-way tie. Well, we've got four albums, Johnny Polanski, Garage Land, Owsley, and Life of Agony that are all within a vote of each other. So so your vote you, can make uh, a difference. Definitely. You could come in and right before this closes, you, you could be the – you close the deal. Folks, I don't want to speak lightly – but it's kind of important to vote. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind heard of. of this. I've heard a lot of people complain and then uh, actually solutions are sometimes very easy. It just means you have to like get up and go vote and then yeah, things and then all of a sudden things start happening. Right. Exactly. So our, our last poll, which generated the episode that we're doing uh, this time was for uh, September. And there were a bunch of records that were in that poll that I'm going to mention right now. The ones that didn't do so well 
only got 3% of the vote were Compound Red's album Always a Pleasure, Curb Dog's Dry Riser, and Best Kissers in the World Been There. A little bit better was Color Fingers In the Heart of the Beast in the Sun. That was at 10%. And then at 13%, Ty was Shades Apart Eyewitness and Neutral Milk Hotels in an Aeroplane Over the Sea. Coming in second place, Jay, was Edna Swamp with Wonderland Park. That had 19%. But the winner, the crushing, undisputed winner was Built to Spill's Keep It Like a Secret with 35% of the vote. I was surprised because like previous polls, Jay, the comments did not reflect the voting. Yep. There was only like two people who said, yeah, you should probably do Built to Spill. And one of them was like kind of a a backhanded like, um, Scott Holgram said, Built to Spill and Nutramel Hotel are both pretty big holes in what you've covered over the years, which I kind of felt like, hey, wait a minute. We're doing our best here, Scott. We're trying yeah. to we're trying to do every record that's ever existed in the 90s, but it's going to take us a while. <laughs> so, yeah, we have some significant holes. There's no doubt about that. Right. I mean, there's a right. lot of music to cover here. So, but there was a lot of love for I thought Shades Apart got a lot of Facebook comments. Yes. Brandon and Trammell no, like, mentioned them. Hardly any votes. Yep. Uh, who else mentioned them? Uh, a couple people. Whitney Bueller also. He said, he said uh, I'm with Brandon. Eyewitness was viewed as a sellout by fans of the band, but hey, Shades Apart probably needed to sell more than 12 CDs. The album was well produced, <laughs> and the songs are catchy and punchy. Yeah. Keith Sawyer th- threw his vote to Shades Apart. Matthew Barnes said, he's, I'm really rooting for Edna Swamp on this one. If it doesn't win, you should really check it out. Anne's voice is beautiful, sultry, angsty, vulnerable, and her melodies are so catchy. The damn travesty, this record isn't huge. Music is heavy and trippy. The production is spot on. Kelly Scott and Ken Andrews have a hand in here, and they're in some drum production, drum and production work, respectively. I did not know that, Jay, that Kelly Scott played drums and Ken Andrews produced on that record. It's interesting. Which record? Edna Swamp. That's what Matthew Barnes oh. says. No kidding. I did not know that. I didn't huh. know that is either. This, is this um before or after that hit song that they wrote that um, Torn, Nelly and Brulia? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. He also mentioned for Wonderland. Well, we, that was Wonderland Park was Edna Swamp. Uh Phil Fleming also went with Edna Swamp. And Scott Witt said I choose Best Kissers for the album art alone. It's just a picture of a messy bed. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then um, Johnny Hooper, he was one that said, sorry, folks, it simply has to be keep it like a secret. We're talking about one of the strongest rock records of the 90s, performed by performed by one of alternative rock's finest guitarists. What's scary is that Secret is only their second best album. Perfect from now on certainly lives up to the name. So there you go. Wasn't a whole lot of love for Built to Spill, yet the silent majority won, Jay. <laughs> The underdog. The underdog. It just it crept well, in. I was beginning to fear, fear that the most known album was always going to win. We'll see how this this one pans out, I suppose. I don't well, know. Well, that's, that's interesting because I think in terms of mainstream, like what you're, if you were to walk down the street 
Yeah. I think Built to Spill might be the one name that actually triggers like, oh yeah, I know what that I've heard of that band. Right. But I think in terms of like music fandom, yeah. Neutral Milk Hotel is has a more yeah. legendary status. Yep. So and uh, all these records are interesting in their own way, and we've done a current curb doll record before and we know that we like them. So mm-hmm. uh, Jay, so let me ask you, have you have you ever listened to much Built to Spill? I have. I went through a little phase. Um, I don't have this record, but I had a different record. Let me see what it is. Ancient Melodies of the Future or or, or your more recent stuff like There Is No Enemy or – You you in Reverse is the record you I You in Reverse, have. okay. I think it's one of those bands that I probably should listen to more, but I for whatever reason I don't. Um, I generally like them. I recognize the songs had a record, enjoyed it. For whatever reason, I don't go back to them often. Not sure why, but they just kind of don't pop into my mind of, hey, right. I should go check that out or miss hearing that record. I did not get into Built to Spill until the early 2000s. Um, it was actually on the follow-up record to this, which I mentioned is um, Ancient Melodies of the Future. It came out in 2001. And it's funny because... Like they were playing a single off that record on CD 101, which is now a CD 102.5. I believe it was Strange was the single. And I remember people being like, ugh, what happened to Built to Spill? And I was like, I kind of like this. I don't know what you're complaining about. And then I went back and listened to the earlier stuff, like Perfect from Now On and Keep Like a Secret. I was like, okay, I can understand if you were really into that, that you would not. Maybe you'd be like disappointed, and we'll get into why. But yeah. I have not really gone past that record. I, I've probably sampled you in reverse. There is no enemy, untethered moon, like on Spotify, but I haven't really gotten deep into those records or the early, early stuff. I know like Big Dipper because that song got played uh, again, like on college radio a lot, and I've actually seen bands cover it as well. So I have a little bit of familiarity with the band and and this record and the previous record and the one after it, but that's about it. Yep. So just so people are aware of the history of this band, they're from Boise, Idaho, formed in 1992. They are still active. They have gone through a shifting lineup of the same people. When Doug Marsh, who was previously in a band called Tree People, formed Built to Spill, he, he basically formed it himself, and he said... Like every album was going to have a different lineup, which is kind of true. They've kind of had different lineups, but it's it's been like the same four or five or six people that have like rotated in and out based on what they were available because they're other doing other bands. So like the original lineup was Brett Net- Netson and uh, Ralph Utes, and then like Utes left the band and he was placed he was replaced by Brett Nelson. So at one point there was a Brett Netson and a Brett Nelson in the band at the same time. <laughs> Uh, okay. And then Andy Caps was the drummer for a while, and then he passed away actually in the early 2000s. And then more more recently, uh, on the recent records, it's been um, Steve Gear and Jason Albertini have been the rhythm section. And what's interesting is like if you look at the like credits on the records, it's usually just Doug Marsh credited with all the guitar stuff. Um, but when they tour, they sometimes tour with up to three guitar players. Because he basically plays everything on the record, which there's multiple tracks, and then they to play that live, he gets 
the other, the guys who aren't necessarily in the band full time return to the band and and play. So it's sort of this weird rotating lineup of a group of friends who move in and out of the band as they're available. Um, and they they've been on a major label for quite a lot of this. They started out on CZ Records and then they were on Up Records. And then they were on Warner Brothers from 1997 to 2015, which is pretty amazing that they were able to stay on a major label for, what is that, 18 years? Mm. Yeah. I, I guess the deal is that basically it was Doug Marsh who signed as an, like, I don't know if there's a name for that when it's just like one member of the band, but it's under a band name. It's a key man or something like that. And he like got rid of the contract that he had like very strong creative control over like the mix and the and the you know all aspects of the band essentially mm-hmm. so warner brothers just kind of left him alone to like do whatever he wanted and they have put out a record pretty consistently like 97 on yeah 99 2001 2006 2009 2015 there was a couple years where they had where they were a little shaky because he had like a detached retina and they missed some time and then um they like had a recording session, had, like had a bunch of stuff, and then scrapped it all. And well, honestly, I mean, if a record label was is smart, they would be a a dream. Like to have a couple of them on your roster is is, is probably easy money. Like you don't, not like they're putting a ton of promotion in them. They've got a built out fan base. They probably don't right. spend a ton of money. They just tour a lot, recording. Yeah. Uh, so it's small investment and you're probably guaranteed the same return every time because the fan base is so strong. Right. So it, it kind of makes sense. I, I guess I don't give record labels that much credit anymore, at least not the big ones, <laughs> to be able to piece that together of like, hey, maybe if you just like got out of the fucking way and let them do their job, and they, <laughs> you'd actually make some money. Right. I will say that after Untethered Moon, Doug Marsh triggered whatever like whatever was in his contract so that they could leave Warner yeah. brothers. So that was last year actually. And they, they took over their website from Warner brothers. So they have built to spill.com. So let's get into the record. Who was the person who suggested this record? By the way, Jay, do you have that on hand? The name of the suggestor who, who provided this record in our suggestion pile, so to speak. Uh, I could if you could stall a little bit longer. I'm trying to stall as much as possible, <laughs> Jay. That's why I'm going on at length with my introduction of the person who suggested this record for our listeners and that we put into the poll that everyone voted on in September. So, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm so close. Now that I have stalled for a significant amount of time, can you tell us who that person was? Oh, so close. <laughs> Paul Wogan. Paul. Paul Thanks, Wogan. Paul. W-O-G-A-N. That was a hell of amount of stalling. I got an old computer, man. It took a, time, a couple <laughs> minutes to load all an that Apple up. Apple IIe over there? Jeez. <laughs> I upgraded from a... I had a ten-year-old uh, Mac Pro. I finally let go of that, which was very emotional this weekend. Oh my god! And I upgraded to a eight-year-old Mac Mini. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you doing down there? I know. Get some 
I got a MacBook working with too, haptic but... gloves in a in a three <laughs> dimensional like. It should it should look like Minority Report down there. You should have <sighs> computer a Mac desktop computers are super expensive now. Yeah, yeah. I know. So, I hear you. All right. I'm that Talk old man it. now. I don't want to give up on my what I like. I know. I know. Keep it like a secret, Jay. Came out in 1999. Tell me one thing you liked about it. Well, I think what's uh, different about this band is how they go back and forth between classic rock kind of uh, approaches and then v- being almost stereotypically 90s indie rock. And I think there's uh, a pretty cool contrast between the two. So at times you're like, oh, well, he kind of sounds like Neil Young. And then other times I'm thinking, oh, God, this sounds exactly like Modest Mouse. Like I wouldn't know the difference between this and Modest Mouse or – there's other times where they get quiet. And I'm like, this sounds exactly like Death Cab for Cutie, at least the early stuff. But then there's these just elaborate guitar parts and sections that are just a full 12 course meal of guitar. <laughs> like, yep. guitar on top of guitar, on top of guitar, on top of bass that sounds like guitar, <laughs> on top of keyboards that sound like guitars, or guitars that sound like keyboards. So, you know, it, it's a, I think it walks this line that uh, can be at sometimes very familiar and then other times very different and creative. Um, a lot of the guitar work, obviously, I like. It's, you know, the approach, the technique. You know, there's some really cool picking on here. There's some really cool bend styles. There's some, like, nice use of effects. So, and, and then just really creative layering. It's definitely a, um, a full listen. You know, it takes mm-hmm. you, I think you get pulled in enough by the hooks and sort of the strong structures for it to make sense at first. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily difficult, but it certainly gives more the more you listen to it just because there's so many layers. And also like if you change up what you're listening, change your headphones, listen on speakers, listen to your car, you're just going to hear different things because there's just so much here to discover. Yeah. So yeah, I mean quite a bit to take in, but I think the, the net of it for me is just that interesting line that it walks between you know, being fairly s- typical 90s indie alt rock and then mixing in this really quirky kind of um, take on on classic rock, um, be, whether it be you hear some Beatles, you hear some Neil Young. I even heard some Steve Miller band, to be honest with you. So um, just a really cool space uh, to be between those two worlds. Yeah, I'll agree with you in a, in a- Say the one thing that really stuck out to me. I, I've owned these records for a while. Um, not when they came out, but I own this and Perfect From Now On for a while. And the thing that has always stood out for me, especially on this record, is the song construction. Although they are often working with a sort of verse-chorus-verse format, the way that they get there... And the way that they phrase verses in terms of they're not standard four chords. I mean, there are like really intricate picking parts that are weaving in you get in your left and right channels. There's weird things going on. There might be a guitar that then shows up right down the mid, right down the center. So you have three guitars going, playing different parts, but they're all like kind of working together because it's all Doug Marsh, like, you know, overdubbing himself. Um, but they do so many cool just inventive ways of constructing you know you take the first song the plan 
it's built around this like crescendo and collapse and it's really interesting because then it really like you you hear all the instruments so like when it's collapsing the bass line is sort of carrying the song and then there's these interludes of like guitars playing back and forth off of each other and there's these dramatic builds and it's just fascinating but there's really like at the core of it is is a very simple sort of song structure he just has his like you said this classic rock very neil young you know crazy horse approach to a lot of this and the latin the record before this is is way more intricate i've read where he said like he purposely like toned it down on this record and got away from like multiple seven eight minute long songs there's still broken chairs is is 840 but the rest of the record is actually fairly concise i mean they're between like center of the universe is only 243 um the rest of the records are in the three to you know five and a half minute range but i just i just love that he eschews like playing these you know standard sort of like bar chord power chord riffs that you associate with like a lot of 90s indie rock and it's just a constant del- deluge of like riffs and leads and really cool effects like on time trap like i first of all i love the intro to that song that sounds like classic, you know, crazy horse jamming to begin that song. And then it like breaks down and you get that really weird like Doctor Who lead guitar going on in that song. I don't know how else to describe it. That's what it reminded me of, like the Doctor mm-hmm. Who theme. Tons of that stuff. This is like a guitar nerd's dream to like listen to this record and hear the way that they integrate so much guitar work into that are really like the driving melodic melodic force of the whole record is the guitar stuff. You know, in another band, you would have a singer doing a lot of the stuff in terms of counter melodies, but he's doing it on guitar. Yeah. There's some good um, background vocals too that help support it, and there's some. I, I don't know if they're. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Uh, like the plan has a very distinct, uh, important bass line, and then, but then when sometimes when I listen to, I'm pretty sure that's bass. But other times I listen to certain parts like that, and I'm like questioning if it's a bass or not. Uh, it, it's a low end guitar, or it could be mm-hmm. bass played high. It, it, sometimes it's hard to tell, but there are bass like parts that are 
fairly significant when it comes to you know carrying the melodic uh, aspect of the song that maybe the vocal uh, isn't focused on and the guitars are just so crazy that uh, you know the bass does hold it together uh, melodically. And I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing Doug Marsh as far as being like that his his vocals not carrying it like for as you know kind of limited he is as a vocalist I think he really does a good job of like punctuating where he needs to like carry the zero is a good example that song is really built around like uh sort of an instrumental and then a verse and then an instrumental and a verse and he and then there's like a chorus that comes in like way late into the song but then he does this thing probably about almost to the end of the song well there's a lot of jamming at the end of the song, but like almost to like the four minute mark of the song where he like the verses or, or his vocal is kind of measured. He doesn't get on top of himself too much. And then he like kind of when he gets to the certain point towards the like the four minute mark into the song, the vocal almost like doubles in time in terms of its intensity. Not in the way that he's still singing in his sort of like airy higher register, mm-hmm. um, but he just like the urgency of his singing increases and it like perfectly segues into the the build of the outro of the song and i think like a lesser sort of more you know there's a lot of indie rock bands that would do this sort of sound but that could not pull off that sort of cathartic release with the vocal the way that he does Mm. um there there are a lot of you know very capable guitarists in 90s indie rock bands who just never had the chops to pull off like a a good vocal but they were really good at, you know, noodling and coming up with awesome guitar leads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think, you know, Povo is a good example. Amazing guitar work in that band. I can't remember a single line of lyric or melody from that band. But, I like, tons of amazing riffs. But just nothing stuck with me as far as vocals or anything like that. And there, there, are, like a lo- there are a lot of bands like that. And I think that that's what really separates Doug Marsh is like he's able to find where to use his voice and then how to like really connect when he needs to that in a ways that a lot of other ones don't I think your Modest Mouse comparison is is on point Modest Mouse I think got a little more abrasive in their earlier years Um, I think they sort of flattened out in terms of like getting rid of the aggressive stuff when they somehow managed to score that like ridiculous massive single Mm in the mid two thousands. Yep. But I never really, I never really thought of them as a contemporary, but that's probably, I mean, they're both from out West. So that's probably not an unfair comparison out or is death cab. There's definitely a lot of earlier death cab sound in, in this band. I would not be surprised if uh, they played early shows together. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what um, kind of gets me <clears throat> maybe to what I don't like about the record. Uh, it sounds very 90s to me, significant portions of it. I think the unique, I guess, over almost overindulgence of guitar is what makes it stand out from a lot of other similar sounding uh, music from the time. But then some of the guitars, I mean, some of the stuff is just, it's over, it's over the top. Like it's hard to really uh, focus on anything. He's somehow able to pull it off most of the time, but mm-hmm. it also just made me wonder, like, what would it sound like if it was just a little bit simpler, you know? Um, well, he has a solo s- record you can check out if you want. Okay. 
instead of 12 guitar parts what if there was just like three right <laughs> like what would he focus on and how would that come across and you know I don't, I don't know maybe that's not the point of the band um but boy it gets over the top sometimes it does i think that may be the point it's yeah just as good. i don't i think of it in terms of like he's almost like the west coast version of not, not that boise's on the coast but um the western version of like jay massis in terms yeah. of 90s indie rock just True. you know just letting the guitar shred but not he's not a soloer in the same way that like with that like yep. jay massis definitely had his metal yeah there's not way. a ton of like heavy overdrive on this record i mean it gets just you know right it gets fuzzy at certain points yeah it gets big and fuzzy but yeah it's not like uh, i mean jim asses can do solos that are heavily distorted and feedbacky and screaming what did um, you think of um track eight you were right I feel like we've discussed this song before, but I can't remember. <laughs> well, I remember this song. Okay. I mean, uh, I remember this song and I remember the plan. I don't know why, but definitely, you know, had heard them quite a bit. It's a little novelty to me. Right. Uh, I think I've, I think I disliked it when I originally heard it because I thought that. Yeah. And now I think it's like, I think it's kind of, we put it this way. I think it's ballsier now that he did it knowing that this is a band that has like a certain like indie rock pedigree and to be so like tongue in cheek is, is something that was not really cool in the nineties. Like yeah. this is, this is almost like a Ben folds move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, for him to do it is like almost like punk rock, like him to be like, I'm going to make a stupid song that has like quotes, a whole bunch of classic rock lyrics. Yeah, I guess that's what part of me is like, Oh, that's really clever. I like how he's doing that. And there's a little nostalgia there and whatever. But then I'm like, I guess I don't want it to be ironic. You know, if he's, if it's genuine, I think it means more to me. Right. You know? So I think at the time I didn't know how to take it. I did read that, that what he said was he wrote the chorus first. He was like, you know, messing around. He came up with the chorus. And he's like, well, what would the opposite be for the verse? So he started like thinking about if you were right, what what would you be wrong about? And he's it, he basically did it as a way to like sort of poke a little fun, I guess, at mm-hmm. uh, at all the classic rock, you know, that he that he had grown, grown up on. Mm hmm. So I was definitely a, like a conscious like I'm I'm 
doing this specific thing for this reason instead of like just stringing together a bunch of he basically wanted to like find these cliches and like sort of like tear them be a little pessimistic about like oh well i think also there was a bit of 70s nostalgia in the 90s you know we've talked about that before and so this is a way to like kind of push back against that well you were wrong yeah so i i kind of dig it i mean he put it at the end of the record so i can't it's not like he stuck it up at the front i, I think it got played as a, like a single okay yeah i mean i definitely had heard it so and i'm sure i don't know at some point i probably listened to this record right i just don't remember but uh that one in the plan definitely i remember there were a couple others that were very familiar yeah i don't have a I i really enjoy the record i don't have a lot of like negative uh, you know, there's a, I guess there's a couple overly long tracks, but they're towards the end, and it, it doesn't bother me that much. It's actually a fairly concise record for being a 90s record. It's about 47 minutes. Yes. Um, yep. No complaints there. And they, actually, the record before this is um, eight songs, but there's not a song like under five minutes. Like They're all in like six, seven, eight-minute range. So that's mm-hmm. a very like 70s neil young crazy horse record yeah there i mean i have a i have a neil young record that starts out with like two 20 minute long or 10 minute long songs or something like that Jeez. uh that's not uncommon yep so i don't have a whole lot of like bad things to say i know this is record has been talked up by a lot of people you know even all music which we often disagree with gave it a positive review and i it was weird the one thing that i read that was like a negative review was from q magazine when it came out wrote they sound like they're trying too hard and that the flaming lips and mercury rev do this sort of thing with far more panache yeah i don't think either of those bands are in this space though that's like that those are much more like psychedelic sounding and yeah i mean that's kind i agree I, i don't yeah I, I know the difference, but I can, when I listen to this, if you're not giving it as much attention as we are, right? <laughs> uh, I could see how you could write this off as like, oh, this is a late 90s indie rock band. Like, Sure. So I, I think that's part of where my criticism comes from the record. I mean, I still think it's a, it's a very, you know, I'm going to give it a, a worthy record, spoiler alert, uh, but there is a little bit of a date on this for me and I can see how some people would write it off in the way that you just described. That's a good point. I mean, I do think while I do enjoy listening to this record, I, I would imagine someone who's younger now trying to listen to this would be put off by how, unless they're like really into guitars, yeah, they would probably have a hard time digesting this because it is so intricate and not in like a Steve Vai kind of way, but just like that was a thing to like. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, you know these like really interesting guitar parts. Well, like I like well, I wonder well, how like a minus bear would go minus the bear would go over with. They have so many songs that have like yeah a lot of inter- intricate guitar parts, especially the earlier well, stuff. That's not as some of the stuff is more rhythmic oriented towards the latter half. But there are a lot largely, of largely it's a lot of bands it seems like. That. like Music has become, at least pop music has become not layered at all. Like, right. Very simple. Um, well, the layering is so, in the percussion. Yeah. But even like, there's a lot of like popular rock music that's, you know, 
distorted bass because it's like you don't even want to have two guitars because that would be too layered. I have a I have a theory on that. Um, I've noticed a lot of recent like pop music or stuff that's getting played on like like I mentioned like CD one hundred one or one two point five here in Columbus. Yep. The vocals are often distorted. Okay. Like I've heard this song L King or this or artist L King who has a song called Shame. Okay. Like they're playing the crap out of it, and it's got it's got this very like Amy Winehouse house kind of feel, like that yep. kind of vibe. And her yep. vocals are distorted, and I've noticed a lot of bands having distorted vocals. My theory is is that people listen through like earbuds, or oh, yeah. and that distortion sounds okay. Like it it that's what that sounds like. Yep. So you want like a tinny distorted vocal so that it works well within the earbud. Yep. And then you distort the bass because yep. otherwise the bass is going to be completely lost in that format. And then you don't need guitars, so you can make it sound like full and heavy, but you don't actually have to have guitars in it. Right. So it's like super simple. Like you can get away with a very simple melody focused mix if you've got a beefy, meaty bass. Yeah. And that vocal that's cutting through. Then then also it makes it easier to mix the vocal because there's the guitars aren't competing with it. Yep. You know, just it's a formula that I'm yeah, I'm with you. I'm noticing it's used more and more, and I think part of it is what you said, like just the shitty headphones that people listen to music on now. It's like being mixed for that. And then there's just you know, it layered guitars are kind of it's becoming like too too much for people, I guess. I don't know, you know. So yeah, I could see this band now for most people being way too hard to deal with and it's funny because there's you know vocally and like from a volume standpoint uh there's not anything offensive about it in fact it's you know pretty mellow but just the amount of layers i think i could see people like getting lost in yeah yeah so i agree with you this is a worthy record i do agree that it's very stamped in terms of its performance I don't think necessarily the mix or anything. It's a very sort of neutral mix, but it's just in terms of what the sound is, is definitely sounds like late nineties, early two thousands indie rock. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it just transports you to a space that is very specific and will never happen again. (laughs) As far as I can tell. Um, so there you go. That's our, revisitation is it a worthy album for you it is a worthy album yeah this and perfect from now on i think are the highlights of their catalog for me and of a in terms of this style of intricate guitar work I, i think this is sort of the height i know there were a lot of bands that were doing this but like i said i don't think as many of them were as successful as crafting vocal hooks and melodies and memorable, interesting lyrical components is the way that Doug Marsh does. So that's where I think this band excels. This song or this album is a little tighter than uh, the previous one, but they're both like really, really strong records. So I don't have a complaint. I do need to like revisit all that 2000 stuff because I just have not given it a strong enough chance. Yep. So, but worthy record, definitely. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any stinkers on it. I mean, uh, you hear my criticisms of it. I think, right. like you said, the the production is is really good. Um, it's not dated on that end. I just think you have to really love guitars. 
like we do to get to appreciate this record. Right. No, if 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 you're not into guitars, don't bother. Yeah. Want to thank everybody who commented over at Patreon and who voted. That's patreon.com forward slash dig me out. You can join us there for as little as a dollar a month. And you get to vote in polls every month that we will be putting up as well as get bonus content for episodes like, uh, you know, when we do roundtables or or what have you, when we feel like <laughs> doing some bonus content or have the time, I should say. And then, uh, of course, we're going to have a fourth quarter. We just did our third quarter giveaway. We're going to have a fourth quarter giveaway for the end of the year. We'll come up with something big and nice and interesting and fun for that. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Stop breathing in,